Hey everybody and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today we are in Season 3, Episode 4, actually the last part of this series. It is, yeah. Finishing up this series, uh, Clay. So mm-hmm. we are excited for this conversation. But um, I'm here with Paul Huber. Yeah, yeah, good to be here. We're recording in an afternoon, which is a little bit different for us. Yes. But I think uh, after a super busy weekend for both of us, uh, Ben, um, it, it was good to... You know, get things moving maybe a little bit more slowly this morning for us. Um, and uh, good to be here this afternoon and excited for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. It was really full this weekend. We were hosting the Renew Gathering, Renew Regional Gathering That's here right. at church. Um, how'd, that, how'd that go for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was good. I think a really good success. We was really encouraged by the folks who attended both Friday, which was a conversation geared mostly toward church leaders. So that could be you know, people that work in our role, vocational ministry or elders within the church, spouses and others as well, uh, key disciple-making leaders. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, just kind of an open conversation for everybody, uh, really trying to get at what are some challenges and opportunities that lay ahead for those mm-hmm. of us who are trying to be disciple-making churches and people who are disciples who make disciples. And so, um, man, I was encouraged by the content, by the communicators, uh, by what they shared, and then really by the debriefs that we had at the yeah, table. So yeah. we had this set up in round tables. Really if good. you're listening, you might get that imagery in your mind. We were all at these different mm-hmm, round tables mm-hmm. within our uh, auditorium space. And you know we spent as much time debriefing at those tables as we did uh, sharing content because you know we believe at Renew in particular that, uh, that the people who attend these gatherings have, have a whole lot to say about disciple-making, their mm-hmm, disciple-making mm-hmm. experiences, their heart for what we uh, see the church wanting to reach into and become. And some of the takeaways were just uh, really rich, you know, from, from the folks at the tables, not just the folks standing on the stage sharing yeah. with us. And so, yeah, I think really encouraged by, by the whole thing and by the feedback we've had both from folks here at Grace Chapel and folks at other churches as well, receiving text messages, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from Saturday into Sunday from different people who I shared contact information with and how encouraged they were uh, by the conversations happening. And not just the conversations, the fact that what we are doing, and that's really at the heart of Renew, is to bring together the best of the restoration movement in a sense, both in practices and in the churches that value those things, so that we can again be what the restoration movement was founded to be, first and foremost, a unity movement, a network of churches. Mm-hmm coming together, standing on the same principles, um, believing the same things uh, in many ways, um, being willing to say that some things are personal, but the things that are essential and important, we will stand on those things together. And so we had, here, we had folks here from uh, Christian churches, Churches of Christ, uh, the African American Church of Christ, the uh, mm-hmm. International Churches of Christ. We had folks here, I think uh, some from a community church that Bobby met that we're here even that they're saying, hey, we're in line. We're, we're aligned with yeah, uh, yeah. What, what Renew believes. And so we're here to hear and participate. And uh, yeah, so just overall, I think you can probably just hear. Yeah, I mean. It, I'm, I was encouraged by it. It was, it was really good. I think it connects with a lot of what we do here on this yes. podcast. Um, so we'd really recommend it. Check out some of that content. Go to Renew. They're mm-hmm. going to be sharing out some of those messages, I think, through their podcast. Yeah, through the Renew podcast. Here. I so, think that's the plan. Um, yep. As we hear about some of that, we can certainly Absolutely. link to that and uh, encourage you all to check that out. But it was a really meaningful weekend. Yes, agreed. Agreed. So, and also, this weekend, we say we had our final part of this Clay series. Yes. So you were really busy in messages, preparing for that and Renew stuff, but uh, did a great job at all of it. Oh, I appreciate really that. really good. I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever, maybe I have before, spoken four times in one weekend, so that's a unique <laughs> experience. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it was good. All, all good stuff and all, all things that you know are really important to me, matter a lot to me, especially this conversation that we had here on Sunday morning. Uh, as we were wrapping up this series, uh, very much so, and, and tried as much as possible to, to issue a challenge looking forward as we've been talking about the fact that God has been shaping us and kind of getting into what we'll be talking about in the podcast or alluding to it a little bit that, you know, God doesn't just shape us to shape us. He shapes us so we can join Him in shaping others. And that's, that's a beautiful thing when you think about that. And so really, uh, that, that's been what's at the heart of this series, understanding or trying to get an understanding of what is shaping us. What mm-hmm. is it that's shaping mm-hmm. us? And so we've been saying, uh, kind of work through a progression, I think, through this month saying, you know, we're all being shaped by something or better said, many things are shaping us. Mm-hmm. 
then exposing this truth that we're not always aware when we're being shaped and exactly what it is that's shaping us. So that's, I mean, that's where it starts to get a little bit, uh, you know, concerning is that we can be shaped and not even know that we're being shaped in that yeah, moment, yeah. you know, that we're being molded. Sometimes we're, we're oblivious to that. And if that's true, then what that means is that just because I wear the name Christian, because I call myself a Christian, doesn't mean necessarily that God is the primary shaping influence in my life. And again, these are where things get more worrying and more concerning. And, uh, you know, so really wanted to speak hopefully as truthfully and openly about those realities, you know, that, that we had, those, that we made those acknowledgments, um, encouraging people to allow themselves to be clay in the potter's hands, to allow yeah. God to shape you more than anything else and be intentional about that. It's not just going to happen because you show up on a church on Sunday mornings. I mean, that's great. We want, we want people to be here at church on Sunday mornings, continue to be encouraged more and more as we see people now in you know, maybe this uh, post-pandemic era um, continue to be returning back to church and that we see new people here every Sunday here at Grace Chapel. That's encouraging, very exciting. Um, and I'm hearing that's true from many of my friends as well. But just because you come to church on a Sunday morning does not mean that God is the primary shaping influence in your life. And we think about how, how little time we actually spend here, how much time we're spending in other places, and that all of those experiences are working to shape us. If we say, well, then only one that one small hour is going to shape me so that I look like Jesus, I think we might be fooling ourselves a little bit, or maybe just it's a little naive to think that that's true. So what are we doing intentionally um, in all the moments of our, of our life you know, throughout every day, every week, every month, so that God is that primary shaping influence in our life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good. I think that acts as a good recap for the series. But before we go specifically mm -hmm. into this week's message, yep. let's talk a little bit about what we talked about last week. Okay. Because I think that's going to act as a good foundation for where we're going today. And uh, last week you shared some information that was kind of hard to hear, um, and it was a result of a number of different studies that asked the question of what percentage of Christians are holding to a biblical yeah. worldview. And yes. uh, you, you, you told us some bleak information yeah. about that. Could you give us a little bit of a recap for that? Yeah, so, um, so real quick, let me give the, the definition maybe of, of a biblical worldview first. Okay. Yep. Okay? So good. the idea of a biblical worldview anyway is it starts with this idea that that the Bible is the inspired and infallible Word of God. Okay, so we're saying yes to Scripture is this infallible Word of God. And then the second part is that Scripture forms the framework for the way that we view reality. In other words, what God has communicated to us through Scripture becomes our filter in life. And we'll run everything through that. All of our experiences are run through the filter of this biblical worldview the, the, the framework that Scripture builds for us, what it tells us about God, what it tells us about ourselves, what it tells us about others, what it tells us about the meaning and purpose in life, why we're here. I mean, all of those things, those super important existential questions like, what on earth am I here for? You know, all of that we find Scripture addressing. The Bible addresses those things over and over again. Uh, that's why we love the Discovery Bible Study method here, because we're asking those questions when we look at a passage. What do I learn about God? This is worldview shaping. What do I learn about the nature of people? So what do I learn about the nature and character of God and who He is? What do I learn about the nature and character of who people are? And if all of what I've read is true, then how should that be shaping and forming me? And so that's, that's how we grow a biblical worldview, is by engaging with Scripture in that matter. Okay? Um, now, that is to, to assume that all people who call themselves Christians do that. Again, I'm going to use the word again, naive. It is, it's truly naive because that's just not what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, what some of the most recent research uh, by George Barna and uh, the, uh, the Arizona Christian University, the Center for um, Cultural Research, I think it's called, what they found in 2022 is that only 9% of all those who identify as Christians truly possess a biblical worldview. So again, back to that last acknowledgement, the assumption that my life is primarily be sh being shaped by God, even if I call myself a Christian, may be false. Yeah. In fact, yeah. for 91% of the people who call themselves yeah. Christians, there's this reality that their, their, their lives, that God is not the primary shaping influence 
upon their That's lives. Crazy. I mean, it is crazy. That's so, crazy. so again, we, we talked about that last week. I think it's important to to, to give just a, a glint, you know, kind of a, a glimpse into that because it does find its way back into the conversation of what we'll look at this week again. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, tough stuff to look at, but you know what? I, there's this, rea- you know, burying your head in the sand does no good for anyone. Mm-hmm. So even if the picture is really dark, and even if the picture uh, is somewhat alarming, um, even if it is our wake-up call, um, well, if it is our wake-up call, then thank God, that's, that's good. Even if it is a thing that maybe even uh, you know, gives us just this pain in the pit of our stomach, this is a good thing because we're actually taking a look at reality instead of just continuing to believe that, you know, again, this, this is a Christian nation when we know we've moved into the place where, by worldviews, we're a post-Christian nation, when we continue to think that everything is just fine in the church, when we know that everything is not just fine in the church, yeah. Yeah. and even for ourselves, when we think, I'm okay, I'm fine. And again, this is not a question about somebody's salvation or anything else like that. What I'm saying is the worldview that you hold, you know, it's not, it's not up to me to judge whether somebody's in or out, saved or not saved, whatever language, you know, works for you with that. Um, what we're judging is... Uh, what is revealed in this study that, that an incredibly low percentage of people who call themselves Christians actually hold a biblical worldview, which begins with the idea that Scripture is infallible and then moves on to the next idea that it now becomes basically my guide for life, my guide for understanding the world around me, my guide for understanding God, my guide for understanding myself. Yeah. Man, and that just, I mean, I think that just paints such a picture of how important this series is, this question yeah. is of what is shaping us. Because just because you call yourself a Christian, you are a Christian, maybe, yeah. it doesn't mean that God's necessarily shaping no. you. Yep, that's right. You kind of dialed in on that a little bit more this week, honing that in at a more granular level and looking at how the next generation is doing. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes. So, um, you know, so, so what Barna found, uh, you know, over this period of, uh, of looking at this research between 2017 and 2022 is that Christian millennials and Gen Xers are up to eight times more likely to accept views derived from New Age spirituality, postmodernism, and secularism than are boomers or elders. Okay. okay. So Christian millennials, um, you know, those are people typically about 40 and under right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am. I'm kind of in that group. Yeah, that's right. I'm right on, right on the right on the uh, on the cusp of whether I'm millennial or Gen Z, but right in there. There you go. And then there's the Gen Xers, which that's my generation, and I'm right on the cusp of Gen X and millennial. So yeah. you can see we're we're separated by a yeah. few years here. You're you're at the cusp of one generation. I'm I'm at the cusp of another. Um, you know, one year on the other side, and I would be a millennial as well. Uh, but I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, and, and this is not even talking about Gen Z, the next generation. Mm-hmm. We, we don't even really know. I mean, there's starting to be some research that's filtering through. Yeah, it's still that, a little early. Yeah, it's a little early. It, it actually, it, it looks, it doesn't look, it's not getting better. Let's just say that. Yeah. It's not getting better, uh, which is right now a little bit alarming. There's no doubt. But again, think about that. Christian millennials, and, that's, and so then my generation, what's really interesting about this is I think that my generation was the first generation to kind of, wrestle with and start to make a break from a lot of traditionally held values and a traditional biblical worldview. Um, You know, I think the boomers before us, for the most part, there was some pushing back, certainly the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. There was a fair bit of that that was, you know, I think tested and, you know, tried and, you know, even put into action, we're going to embrace a very different type of worldview. Um, But but that didn't last and we kind of came out of that. And even, you know, there was then this kind of look at, you know, even in my generation, late Gen Xer, we would look at people of that day and age, and I can remember doing a, you know, uh, a project in, um, it, it was a, his, an American history class uh, in high school, and I can remember derogatorily referring to those people as hippies. I mean, it was, it was, we used it derogatory, in a derogatory fashion. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. We were basically saying we thought that generation was crazy, and so there was kind of a rebound from the, the late 60s, early 70s sexual revolution uh, into the 80s. Things became a little bit more integrated again as far as biblical faith is concerned, although not always with um, the real heart of the gospel connected to it. In fact, sometimes just, uh, just a clinging to values and maybe even a traditional cultural power center even sometimes that goes with that. But, um, you know, from there, 
my generation, Gen X, that really started to uh, adopt a very different worldview, we were then the first to teach that worldview to our children. Mm-hmm. And to, to say, yes, this is what life is really about, now you go do it. And so millennials are the first ones who, who it's really part of their daily lived experience, this pursuit of a very alternate worldview than the yeah. biblical worldview, at least in, within our nation anyhow. And so it's not really surprising then when you look at that, that Christian millennials and Gen Xers are up to eight times more likely to accept views derived from New Age spirituality, postmodernism, secularism, and another number of different worldviews. And again, well, go and ahead. Yeah, I, I wonder in that too. Obviously, there's there are cultural forces that contribute to that, but also, yeah. where has the the church failed to? Oh man. Yes. step in on that and we've talked about we've had a couple conversations yes. about the church's need to be uh, to be shaping people yes. to be active in this not just to be preaching some light form of morality but actually yes. preaching a robust biblical worldview and that's right I mean I wonder if you could and a truly show... holistic one you're right robust holistic yeah. I mean those are those are great words that we need to refine when it yeah. comes to preaching a biblical worldview within the church. As you see in these younger generations have stepped away from that more, I wonder yeah. if you could see a parallel chart of the church preaching oh, less no of a robust biblical worldview. No, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, when, when we look, um, here, here's the reality and here's the way I presented on Sunday morning to say that, you know, the church and the people who make up the church are called to be world shapers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, go into all the world Go into the world, right? I want you to preach. I want you to preach the gospel, the, the full gospel. Yep. I want you to preach the gospel. Then beyond that, I want you to baptize people. Which the, you know, baptism. We we've lost kind of some of the I think the essential understanding of baptism that it is the moment at which somebody makes a decision and a public declaration that is a shift in the way things were. I mean, it was it was the moment at which early Christians pledged their allegiance. To Jesus, mm-hmm. which meant they were no longer pledging their allegiance to the systems of this world mm-hmm. and things that they'd been influenced before. You know, so that's why Jesus says, you know, you go preach, you go baptize, and then after that, you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So now, shape that worldview because there, you cannot assume that just because someone has been baptized that they've made that commitment that, all right, they're good now. Mm-hmm. The influence is going to be coming from everywhere that is working to shape them back into something else and. Don't, don't allow that to happen. Continue to shape and teach and instruct so that what we end up with is, is I think, whole, you know, truly whole disciples, in a sense. Um, you know, so, so said, you know, the church and the people who are make, make up the church are called to be world shapers, but instead, the church and the people who make up the church have often surrendered to being shaped mm-hmm. by the world. And again, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to say this in as gracious a fashion as possible. <laughs> I don't think... We didn't set out to be shaped by the world, and yeah, we didn't just yeah. say, "Well, I, you know, this is what we." I think, I think we buried our heads in the sand. I think it was very incremental the process, which moved us from being people who were quite shaped by God, because we lived in a society that maybe was more shaped by those who believed in God for a time. But moving to a place where now we're truly in a post-Christian society, and probably have been for years, actually. Um, now we're starting to see all these places where maybe the shows we watch on TV, which that's a hard one for me, um, you know, the things we allow ourselves to watch as far as the news is concerned. Like, mm-hmm. are you okay with that view of the news, that very cynical view of people and everything else? Yeah. And, I, you know, maybe it's good to have a realistic view of people. Uh, but there's a, a huge difference between skepticism and cynicism. And, and we've often bled way over into cynicism as uh, you know, as far as it relates to most of the news media that we watch, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, there's just a, an overt cynicism of anybody who can believe and yeah. think differently than you do. Um, you know, all of those things have worked to shape us, even sometimes when we thought this is something that actually upholds a biblical worldview based upon maybe an allusion to God here or there every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it should be no surprise in that because. And scripture tells us plainly, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So it can look pretty good on the outside. And then as you start digging into it, and maybe now you're caught up in it, then you start to figure out that this was not all you thought it was, and maybe it's something entirely different. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a reality. We're called to be world shapers, but we've been shaped more by the world than we have shaped the world. And that's, Mm. you're right, it's it's time that changes. It needs to. 
the church has had and still has a discipleship problem. Mm-hmm. We said that last week, saying it again, just based on yeah. everything you're saying, I think that's very, it's very evident that we we have a disciple problem, discipleship problem, and it's been going on for a while. It has. Can we talk a bit more about that and yep. especially how that relates to this, this conversation? Yeah, if I could just recall our minds to something we talked about last week as well, just just some of those um, specific statements that Christians agree with that reveal that we don't possess a biblical worldview. And again, remember um, about these particular statements, um, Christian millennials and Gen Xers are up to eight times more likely to, to accept these views, the ones that are connected to New Age spirituality, postmodernism, secularism, even naturalism. Um, and everything that goes along with that, you know, again, you look at secularism and naturalism, the belief that, you know, we, we ought to discard all the miracles that occurred in Scripture because, well, we don't have a natural, naturalistic way of explaining those, but then we still want to accept the Bible as having good teaching or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, there are a lot of Christians out there, especially in the younger generations, that that's their view at this point. We're mm-hmm. going to discount any miracle in Scripture, no resurrection, no virgin birth, yeah. no, and the list goes on and on. Um, you know, but again, these are some of the statements that we read last week. So this is just reconnecting with that. And, and remember that Christian millennials and Gen Xers are eight times more likely than boomers or elders to say, yes, we agree with that. Okay, so here's one, for example, all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use for that spiritual being. Very new agey. Meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. That's a very secularist view at that point in time and a very individualist view, a very consumerist view as well. All that together in that. There's no such thing as objective truth, highly postmodern idea, which sometimes has a little bit of you know, new ageism in it as well. And, and maybe new ageism sometimes has a lot of postmodernism. And, you know, but, but when you look at those things, I mean, there, there's no doubt that, yeah, if, if we in the church, and, and there's research that goes to support this in the articles that we tagged last week, we'll tag again this week, that actually show that even among churchgoers, you know, so yes, of course, Christians... Um, not everybody who calls himself a Christian is a regular churchgoer, but even among regular churchgoers, the numbers are still over 50% of people who struggle to hold a biblical worldview. I mean, it's still pretty bad. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not like all of a sudden, well, don't worry, if you go to church, you're fine. Um, and, and again, with the next generation, we know we're losing ground. Um, I, just give a couple of statistics. So in 2011, David Kinneman, uh, who's with the Barna Group, I think he leads the Barna Group now, he wrote in his book, You Lost Me, he wrote that 59% of young adults with a Christian background had dropped out of church at some point in time during their 20s. So that was kind of the first time they did that research trying to figure out how many of the, how, what percentage of the next generation are we losing because of a lack of a biblical, world, biblical worldview moving out of their parents' home typically into college, a yeah. lot of different things going on there. And we often want to point at those years in college and say, see, that's where the problem lies. What we're finding is, yes, they're bombarded with these different worldviews in college, but the problem isn't that they're bombarded with worldviews. We should expect that in, in a very, you know, I think secular society. We ought to expect that in a very pluralist society. They're going to get different ideas all over the place. The problem is that we haven't equipped them well. We're still not equipping them well because in 2019, Barna uh, did this research again. Uh, the Barna Group did this research again. In 2019, Kinneman revealed that this number had gone from 59% to 64%. So nearly two-thirds of all U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church, right? So they had a church background. I mean, they were here. They were here on Sundays, every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Maybe they even attended youth group. Many yeah. of them did. Yeah. Um, 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church withdrew from church involvement after having been active as a child or young adult. You mentioned the lack of equipping. Yes. And I think I think there's been a reality that a lot of times there's been a move in youth mm-hmm. ministry, I think a lot of times to just focus on like simple morality messages, mm-hmm. I'm gonna call it. Yeah. Where it's it's just about, well, don't have sex with your girlfriend. This is what you shouldn't do. Yeah. This is, and it's just, it's simple morality. And this is good. And those are good at times. Like there is, there can be some sure. good stuff in there and there can be helpful things and to try to be relevant to teenagers and stuff. I think I, there's some of that that is admirable. So I don't want to yeah. be throwing stones. Yeah. But 
there's also been a lack of a robust yes. biblical theology, of a biblical yeah. worldview in a lot of youth ministries, it mm-hmm. seems, that have walked away from that just in this attempt to be relevant, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's bad to yeah. try to be relevant yeah. to teenagers, but if you're doing that at the expense of we're going to lose, we're not going to talk about biblical theology. We're not going to talk right. about these complex things because yeah. that's not relevant. Well, yes. we're clearly, we're failing. We're losing. And when you say all this, Paul, it seems, it can seem pretty hopeless. Mm-hmm. It can seem like, okay, things keep getting worse in the generations. More generations keep walking away. Eventually, we're going to be looking at these numbers with Gen Z. And is it just going to look even worse than Gen Alpha? And like, is yeah. it just going to keep getting worse? Like, is it hopeless? I, I don't think it's hopeless. And I think even the fact that we're having these conversations shows that it's not hopeless. Um, and no, I don't believe it's hopeless I think, either. Yeah. I work in youth ministry, Agreed. so clearly yeah. I don't. But yep. just to push back slightly, yeah. why is it not hopeless? Yeah, so um, because I think there is, and I think if, if I can put to language what you were saying, and I think what you said is really good, um, you know, we've got to do the hard work of connecting the what to the why. Yeah. And it is. It's really hard. I mean, to, to shape this very biblical worldview doesn't just happen by telling teenagers in particular, do this and don't do this, if we're not saying, here's why we are these kind of people, Mm -hmm. we're a different kind of people, we're a called out people, then yeah, then we can't expect that, I mean, there are gonna be some, you know, there's there's other research that calls a certain group, a certain percentage of population, the obligers. And they're gonna do, they're gonna do the things they do because somebody else told them they should do it. And their personality wiring is just that of going along with doing the thing that somebody else told them to do problem is until somebody else comes along and tells them to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so even there, the what only takes you so far. And so we've got to be building this robust picture of why we are the kind of people that God has called us to be. And and so, yeah, that's, I think that's a huge part of the task of what we're called to do. And so you ask the question, is it all hopeless? And I'd say, no, not at all. I mean, it's definitely not uh, sunshines, roses, lollipops, rainbows, <laughs> palm trees, whatever, you know, whatever imagery comes to mind when you think of just like this warm, cozy place. It's not that at all. Yeah. Um, but there is a path forward. And it, again, it, if I can use those two words again, hard work. Mm-hmm. Hard work is going to be required. Yeah. You know, what, what uh, Kinnaman found, and he reveals this in his uh, 2019 book called Faith for Exiles, okay. is, um, you know, is that... <laughs> You know, roughly, I think, what is it? Some, somewhere around 10% of 10% of all Christian young people in that 18 to 29-year-old group were part of a group that they called resilient disciples. Okay. Um, others have called that uh, called that group integrated disciples. Okay. Um, you know, or those who have built a re- resilient faith, a faith that can stand uh, attacks that come, and they determined that to become a resilient disciple or to be in that category, five factors needed to be present. We're typically present across the board. Now, all right, again, not sunshine and roses. Um, it's, it's only about 10% of the population of those who would call themselves as Christians that are between 18 and 29 who actually, um, who actually would qualify in that category what as is, resilient disciples. What's that category? How are they defining that? Yeah, so, um, so they again, there were these five factors present. So we can walk through okay. these kind of one okay. by one, and you'll see at the end of that, this is what this is what defines okay. a resilient disciple. Gotcha. Um, five key practices that were present that built a a solid foundation and really a holistic biblical worldview. Okay. okay. So the first of those five factors is this one. They said we've got to raise our children to experience intimacy with Jesus. Both we've got to raise our children to experience intimacy with Jesus in the home. And then our church environments need to foster, um, need to help maybe make the soil fertile for developing intimacy with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if we just do the same thing over again, it looks rote, it looks practiced, it doesn't look real, it doesn't look authentic, then it's not moving them towards something where, in which, in a place in which they believe they can actually have a relationship that means something to their lives. Mm. And this yeah. is extremely significant yeah. that the, having a relationship with Jesus Christ 
being able to engage with God the Father in a meaningful way, having the Holy Spirit indwell you, the understanding that there is communication going, going both ways, or that's the intent. It's not just you lift your prayers to God and you know at the foot of your bed every night or whatever. I mean, that's important. I'm not mm-hmm. mocking those practices. But if those practices uh, exist apart from the understanding that we can have a real relationship with a living God, yeah. We have not done enough to help our children build intimacy with Jesus. Okay, okay. so that's first so that's one. that's the first one. All right. And the second is this: um, Kinneman and his co-author, uh, co-author Mark Matlock say that we must help our children develop muscles of cultural discernment. And what they're speaking to here in their book, they say the research is somewhere ten to one uh, in the hours that our children will sit in church or read their Bible or be somewhere where their parents are engaging them about spiritual matters, helping them develop muscles of faith versus muscles that the culture is developing. In a sense, what's being fed is basically mm-hmm. what's you know. So you know, they get one hour of spiritual development for every ten hours that the culture is developing them. And so if we don't help our children develop muscles of cultural discernment, they will be ill-equipped when they start having to answer the hard questions. Okay, and what I love about the way that they say this, they say one way to do this, super simple, right? I mean, I love simple stuff like this. Just ask your kids three questions as you're walking through experiences in life. Ask them three questions. Here are the three questions. First is this, where is God? In what you just witnessed, where is God? In this movie we just watched, where is God? In that thing you just heard, in that YouTube video you just Mm -hmm. watched, where is God in that? And the answer oftentimes is going to be, I don't know, I don't see God anywhere. Okay, can we talk about that? Can we talk Mm -hmm. about the fact that you actually don't see God anywhere in there? And what does that say about what we just watched, what we just experienced, the need for God to be a part of that experience, as opposed to just accepting everything as though it's good. Okay. You know, Paul says, you know, basically, look, Everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial, right? So understanding the difference between permissible and beneficial mm-hmm. is huge as it relates to the mm-hmm. Christian life, right? So there are some things, can you engage with that? Yes, but you have to develop the muscles of cultural discernment. The second question they say to ask is, what claim is being made about how life works? What's that? That's the worldview question. Okay. Right? Okay. So yeah. this is how life works. This is the way things go. That's a huge question to ask kids and see how that debrief goes. And then, you know, share your thoughts. Listen, share, listen, share. And then the last one, where, if anywhere, can hope and redemption be found in what we've Mm -hmm. just witnessed? Mm -hmm. Because the story of God is one of hope and redemption. But our world is so full of hopelessness. You know, our, our world is so full of brokenness that hope and redemption aren't often part of the conversation. But if you ask those three questions... What Kinnaman and Matlock say is you can, you can begin to help your children develop muscles of cultural discernment. I, I want to do that. That's the kind of dad I want to be, is to have those as-you-go conversations. But it's not just as-you-go. It's also helping children by, you know, as we t- already talked about, helping them learn to experience intimacy with Jesus, which involves sitting down together and reading Scripture together, sharing your heart in that. Then from there, having the as-you-go conversations to develop those muscles of cultural discernment. That's good. That's really good. Like so that's, that. that's the third, okay. or second, sorry, All right. skipping, skipping forward. Uh, the Let's third is this. The third is this. Um, we need to help our children forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. And you may be able to talk to this. Okay. Some, Ben, there's so, uh, so much research out there, um, some done by Fuller Youth Institute and others, mm-hmm. about um, helping faith stick, even the book Sticky Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you may help me recall who wrote that. Uh, is that... Is it Care Powell? Care Powell. That's Care it. Powell? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Hate, hate giving somebody else credit for, yeah. or taking credit from somebody if they, <laughs> if they, uh, if they did write that. No, it's good stuff in there, uh, which is why we have something called Sticky Faith Partners here yeah. at Grace Chapel yeah. that you lead, which is, which is excellent. Yeah. And the idea is that we're helping, that we're helping our children form, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one study that I read a while ago, and I, I don't remember exactly where this was, but that said, you know, our children need five additional meaning relationships with other yep. adults yep. within a church body. Yep. Five additional meaningful relationships. And if that happens, there will be others shaping our children, pouring into our children, helping yeah. them form. And, and you know, yeah. if we're honest, uh, you know, 
we know the truth. Sometimes I say this this way, and I, I've stolen this from somebody. I don't know where I first heard it, you know, but the idea was when I was 16, my dad was the dumbest man alive, and by the time I was 26, he was the smartest man alive. And what changed, me or my dad? It wasn't my dad. My dad was still doing the same stuff he'd been doing. <laughs> my perspective changed. Yeah. And so, you know, the things that my dad would have said to me that I might have, because of a rebellious nature or whatever else, had a trouble receiving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If somebody else had said those same things to me, I might have received them. Mm -hmm. And in a very different way, I might have been more open. And so forging those meaningful intergenerational relationships is is paramount. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it's more frequently ask teenagers mm -hmm. um, in through different series of context, like who are those five people yeah. that you'd call outside of your parents? That mm -hmm. if you if you need something that you'd be able to reach out to, who are those five adults in your life? Uh, that's why we do we have small mm -hmm. group leaders trying to put two adult small group leaders with each group of teenagers. That's right. We, uh, stuff like Stinky Faith Partners, where we're yep. trying to partner up college students as they're graduating, leaving That's the right. home with an adult here that can encourage them, support them. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah, and sometimes Again. it's just as you know, just as much as providing a connection with somebody who's in the next phase of life. You know, mm -hmm, so for mm -hmm. our yeah. middle schoolers, a high schooler that is yeah, is living yeah. out their faith. You know, for our elementary age students, I love that we are putting helpers in those small group environments mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to connect with them who might be my son's age, you know, my oldest son's age, who's, yeah. who's 14, but he's engaging with elementary students in a way that they're yeah. able to look up to and see something in him. And so, you know, uh, creating those uh, intergenerational relationships that are truly meaningful it's not something we can overlook. Okay, that's so that's factor three that they say is present when we find truly resilient disciples in that 18 to 29 year old group. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to number four. Okay, number four. Uh, it's this idea of being trained for vocational discipleship and that may not make sense right away. Let me just give uh, a basic framework for what we're talking about when we're saying training for vocational discipleship. It's basically this, the understanding that whatever I do, I'm doing it for God. I mean, this is okay. you know Colossians three, right? Okay. Whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, not as if you're working for for people, human beings, men, but as if God is the one you're working for. So, uh, the idea that whether you're you know it could be a doctor, whether you're a professional athlete, and some of us may never be doctors or professional athletes, but we may end up being you know school teachers. We may end up being I mean fill in the blank. If you're a bank teller, if you're whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. if you're a garbage truck driver, what you do, you do for God and because of Him, right? He's at the heart of what you do. And in that place, you're also, you're a disciple of Jesus. It's not you come here to the church experience on Sunday morning and here you're a disciple of Jesus. And as soon as you leave here, you're back to whatever you were before you came. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about a consistency through all of life that says, this is my identity. Mm -hmm. It's my first and foremost identity. And, and I think that is something that's been missing, I would say definitely in my generation. And I'll say if there's something maybe that the boomers have struggled with, it's that as well. You know, that is an attitude that I often saw from boomers. You know, when I'm here, I'm one thing. And when I leave, I'm another thing, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I, I'm, I'll never say a, a curse word or, you know, use foul imagery, you know, with my mouth when I'm here in the church building. You don't, don't you know, you say, you say a word like that and yeah. somebody will say, boy, you're in the church building. You better watch yourself. Well, what if I wasn't in the church building? I yeah. mean, it's okay then, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so no, be an authentic Christ follower throughout yeah. every station of mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And we can train our children to pursue that and mm -hmm. pursue that faithfully. Um, and okay. we ought to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, that, right. So that's the fourth. And what's the final one? The final one is this, is to, uh, to engage in countercultural mission is the way they describe that. And it's basically the understanding that yes, we're moving upstream. I mean, as Christ followers, we absolutely are moving upstream. You're like the salmon swimming against the current. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the truth about it is, you know, what I said on Sunday morning is, the trouble is we, we often don't even know when we're going with the current at this point in time. We're just, we're going with the flow. We're in cruise control. We're doing what we do. Uh, we're not out on mission. We've forgotten how counterculture. I don't care what culture you live in. I don't care if you live somewhere in West Africa, if you live somewhere in South America, if you live right here in North America, if you live in Russia, mm -hmm. if you live in China. The, the, the culture of the kingdom, 
the culture of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to put you in a place where you find yourself swimming upstream. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is a countercultural culture that we've been called into when we follow Jesus. And we're supposed to be on mission, living in that way, but not hidden away, to be people who are truly in the world while not being of the world, as Jesus prays for his disciples, John 17, yeah, yeah. that we would be in the world, living out the mission of Jesus, protected by the hand of God, hopefully, but maybe not always. I, I don't know. You know, one of the things they talk about in, in this particular chapter when they're talking about engaging in countercultural mission is we have to get to the place where safety, where the safety of our kids is not the primary concern, where the, the faithfulness of our children mm. is the primary concern. That's good. And we may be stepping into a time in which, in which embracing the kingdom of God in a very overt and faithful way may put us in harm's way from time to time. It may be coming. I don't know. I hope that's not what's coming, but it's what's happening to millions of Jesus followers across this world right now. And what if they preached safety the way we preach safety for the sake of our kids? We're gonna to have to wrestle with that as parents. What do we value more? Our children's safety? Man, I, I do so much. I do, I value my children's safety. I can't bear the thought of something happening to them but more than their safety, do I want them to be faithful? Mm -hmm. and again, that's, that is a yeah. deep point yeah. of tension that we're gonna have to wrestle with. And so we're calling our children to live out their faith through engaging in countercultural mission, swimming upstream, even when everybody's going the opposite direction, will you yeah. go this yeah. way for the sake of Jesus? And will you try to bring as many with you as possible? Mm. So to summarize, mm -hmm. we are saying that things are bleak. We do have a discipleship yeah. problem. It yes. is it is difficult, <laughs> and yet there is still hope. There is a there path is forward. There is still yeah. hope. There is a path forward. And we've identified these. Um, not we have. We haven't identified yeah. them. But through this uh, this research, we'll link we'll yeah. link that in the podcast Absolutely. as well. Um, and identified these traits of resilient disciples yes. of this these few that stay uh, stay engaged that have sticky faith to borrow Tara right. Powell's language. Yeah. Of, and it's these five factors of they experience intimacy with Jesus. They develop muscles of cultural discernment. They forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. They train for vocational discipleship. Mm -hmm. And they engage in countercultural mission. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the end, what we're talking about is, is our call for the sake of the next generation to really, as, as Kinneman puts it, to hold out what is truly a holistic and integrated mm -hmm. vision for the Christian life. That's good. I mean, that's, that's what we're putting before people. It's not, it's not a limited vision, it's a truly holistic, it's not a segmented vision, it's truly integrated. Yeah. A truly holistic and integrated vision for the Christian life. And it's, the time is now. And I think there's probably aspects of those that apply to us and our shaping oh, sure. too, right? That each of those things, um, that it's important for me if I want God to be shaping me primarily. I think we could look at those things and say, am I investing am in those? Do I those have a mm -hmm. personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? Mm -hmm. Am I engaging in mission? Am I taking on vocational discipleship yeah. in my own life? So yep. we, as towards the close of the message yeah. yesterday, mm -hmm. you said that um, you said that you are being shaped by God so that you can join God by shaping others. Yeah. What what could that look like for us? If we, yeah. we've thought through this this month, maybe for some of us listening that this month, we've been thinking through of how maybe some things have had more of a shaping impact on our lives than we thought. Yeah. We've maybe made some decisions to re, uh, rethink some things so that God can be and is the primary shaping force in our life. But now it's not enough just to stop there. Is right. that if we are being shaped by him, yes. we need to join his mission and shape others. How could that, what could that look like? Yeah, I think I'll give three points of, of application similar to what, what I gave in the message on Sunday. You know, if we look at Deuteronomy 6, we actually see the first great commission. I mean, it's like the original great commission. <laughs> it's the, it's the yeah. family commission. It's the commission for the nation of Israel to, uh, to do everything they can 
to absorb what they've just heard, that they have just heard from God and pass it on to the next generation. So in the preceding chapter, we see the Ten Commandments listed. You know, so uh, Moses stands up and he says, these, decree, or these are the commands and decrees that the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children after them. So Moses is painting this vision for a generational passing down mm-hmm. of the things of God. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, listen, here's, here's what I want you to do about it. I want you to take these commandments and I want them to, to sit on your heart, basically. Yeah. So he says, these commandments, verse 6 of, of chapter 6, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says, from there, once they're on your heart, I want you to impress them on your children. Mm. So but we've been talking about shaping. You be shaped by them. That's right. You, you be shape shaped others. by them. And now you turn yeah. and shape others yeah. with the things of God, with my things. He says, talk about them when you sit at home. When you're sitting around the table, when you're doing whatever you're doing, wherever you happen to be, have conversations about these things. Mm-hmm. Have conversations that frame and shape a God-centered worldview. Then he says, beyond that, now I don't just want you to talk about them when you're sitting at home. Anytime you're walking down the road, for us that's more like anytime we're driving down the road, mm-hmm. use that opportunity to have a conversation about these super important things, these things that shape life. When you are lying down, when you're going to bed, Yes, bedtime devotional, that's great. When you're waking up, this is the first stuff you're thinking about. Listen, I want you to tie them to your body, basically. Tie them around your hand, bind them around your foreheads. You know, instead of you know, a headband that says Nike, have something on there that's all about, mm-hmm. about God. I, you know, and then he says, write them on your door frames, or your houses and your gates. Everywhere we're putting these ideas that will help shape the next generation. So parents to children, pass down the things of God with everything you have. You know, I think from there, that's, that's maybe the first application that we can make. Um, we didn't have time to look at this in the message, and we won't flesh these verses out either, but there, there are examples beyond just parents shaping children of other adults shaping other adults or young adults or children. Uh, you know, this, uh, Paul says to Titus, he says, listen, I want you to help the older women in your congregation shape the next generation, the younger women. Mm-hmm. I want you, Titus, to be pouring into the next generation, these younger men. Be invested in that. Uh, to Timothy, he gives this charge. Look, I want you to pass these things down to trusted people who will pass them down to others. And so, again, there's this generational uh, fashion. And it's not just generation from parent to child to you know, then grandchild in that sense as Moses sets out. It's generations of disciples from one disciple to another disciple to another disciple Mm -hmm. shape Mm -hmm. each other within the church and trust these things the things of god to those who will pass them down to others Um, and and then the final way a final place of application so first you know within the home then within the church and then the last one is this as we go into this world i mean we've been given the great commission the great commission of jesus to not just um, focus on the nation of Israel, but to focus on every nation of this world, every people, every tribe, every tongue, to go take them the good news of Jesus as we can. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world, as we've already talked about. I want you to baptize people. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. You be invested in discipling those who don't yet know me. So God wants to use us to shape people in this world who don't yet know the good news of His kingdom. But it's time to lean fully into that. And so I think, you know, in all that, um, yeah, I just want to say one more time, this, this is true. God has always used people to shape other people. And He wants to use people to shape other people today. Yeah. So, yes, we have been shaped by God. But not just so that we could have a new shape. It's so that we could use that new shape to shape others so that they would also be shaped by God and look more like Jesus day by day and it's going to require tough conversations with our kids and within our church mm-hmm. and in the world but we've been called to be world shapers yeah not people who are clueless about how shaped by the world we are mm. i love that i love that and i mean and there's a there's a strong call in that i think that like the deuteronomy passage towards parents mm-hmm. and shaping your kids mm-hmm. but this is also this is for everyone this is for single young adults Absolutely. in my phase of life that we that i'm called to be shaping mm-hmm. others shaping the those next generation me, the that's next. right so i i think that's great i 
feel like you've kind of already identified <laughs> yeah. a practice for us today, Paul, but is there anything anything else that you would just want to land on here as we think yeah. about how we can practice this? I mean, I, I would say this. I think we're all in the place where we have the opportunity to shape somebody, um, and it might be somebody within the church. That's often the low-hanging fruit and the, and the best place to start. If you've never poured into someone else and never sought out someone else to help develop in their faith, and it may be somebody younger, it may just be somebody younger in the faith than you are, yeah. find somebody this week and ask them, hey, would you, would you like to get to, together for coffee from time to time? Mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel like maybe God has laid it on my heart to have a conversation with you the way maybe someone else had a conversation with me years ago yeah. in an ongoing fashion that helped shape me into the person I am today as I yeah. follow Jesus. I, I learned to follow, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, I may have learned to follow Jesus by following their example first. Paul mm-hmm. says... Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And so there's a biblical imperative for us to be people who are shaping each other within the church, shaping the next generation of Jesus followers within the church. And then maybe there we'll learn what it looks like to shape somebody and be able to expand our circle even further mm-hmm. to looking to shape those who don't yet know the good news of Jesus, know nothing about his kingdom and the fact that Jesus coming, Jesus dying, Jesus being raised to life and reigning in authority forever has changed everything, bottom line. I love that. That's great, Paul. Thank you so much for sharing this. Yeah, Thank you for, for sharing this th- series, just the thought time that you put in and preparing for us. I think it's been really meaningful for me. I think it's mm-hmm. been meaningful for a lot of our listeners as well. I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, that wraps up this series, Clay, What is Shaping You? Um, so I hope this has been this has been helpful. Feel free, mm-hmm. drop us some comments or questions. If you have any thoughts, please reach out to us. We always love yeah. hearing from y'all. Uh, next week we'll be joining. We're going to be starting a new series. That's right. Um, and we're actually be joined by our discipleship minister. That's right. Rob Shaver will be joining us in the conversation for the month of February right. for the next few sessions. So we're excited for that. Hopefully uh, you can join us for those conversations and share this podcast with your friends. Tell your friends, neighbors about it. We'd love for them to be listening as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, until next time, we look forward to hearing from you all next week. See you then.